Bethany. And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. On time, on schedule, all those things. Yeah, we, we this is this is our take two for this episode, so we lost a whole bunch of us bantering about how this might be the last episode of the year and how good the movie is, but that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We must roll with the punches. Joel rolls with the punches by showing everyone behind the curtain, so that's okay. Um, so today we are talking about The Secret of Kells. Which was a, let's see, what year was Secret of Kells? Uh... It was 2009. I don't know if you remember this. It was one of those weird things where I had never heard of this movie until they announced the Oscar nominations, and it was on the list of Best Animated Feature, which was like a new category at the time. I think it was like the second year they had it. I didn't remember that part, but I do remember that that's why I watched it. It's one of the things that, like, as much grief, rightfully, as we give the Oscars, because they're terrible, but, like, sometimes they do, uh, they do, like... Uh, put things up for awards that are definitely not going to win, but like they will make more people aware of them. And this was one I remember. Yeah, the animated category is often a good example of that. There's quite often one in there that is, you know, obviously you've got the usual Pixar and Disney and DreamWorks stuff always gets nominated, but there's usually one that is a much, uh, much more obscure movie. Um, and, and in this case, it was this one. So I don't remember. We I guess we probably rented it because I don't even know if it got a theatrical release in the U.S., um probably not around here anyway yeah i think it's sometimes it's hard for me to remember like at this point like almost anything that gets any kind of theatrical release comes to like to like our local independent theater or or even to like the regal um but that was not true in 2009 yeah that has become much more the case lately but yeah i, I think it's, it's distributed by g kids i think which is the same they they distribute studio ghibli stuff in the u.s now i think or maybe they did before. I think Disney distributes it in the U.S. now, but um, a lot of basically a lot of if like foreign animation stuff they distribute in the U.S. Um, and so yeah, that it was the uh, the first feature I believe that Cartoon Saloon did. They've done three or four others now. Um, their stuff is always worth checking out. They have like a really awesome uh, sort of signature animation style that really looks unlike anything else. Um, and there, this is the first of the the sort of unofficial irish folklore trilogy that they they put out that uh it was this one and um wolf walkers and uh song of the sea song of the sea right uh which are all three beautiful fantastic movies that would highly recommend um but this is their first one uh but it i to my mind they i I mean i don't know what kind of stuff they'd been doing before this i'm sure they had plenty of projects that they did before this short films and such but it definitely feels like a fully formed uh, style. It, it has like a really amazing kind of stained glass look to it. There's a lot of really cool perspective stuff that is kind of like, I kept wanting to pause it to just look at, at some of the, the wide frames, like particularly the Abbott's room or his office where he had like the, the whole diagram for the wall that they were building drawn out on the floor and the walls and stuff. It's just looked incredible. Um, so yeah, it's it, just a, a gorgeous movie to look at, um, but it also has, in terms of why we watched it for this, uh, it, it's it's about a uh, uh, an abbey in I believe the ninth century, so like a, a very long time ago, in this period in Irish history where they were being invaded by the Vikings. Um, <clears throat> and who are all drawn as these like terrifying monster men with glowing red eyes <laughs> yeah um 
I, I, I was a little unsure how to feel about that, honestly. It, it felt a little uh, dehumanizing, I guess. But uh, but it's very effective, and it's you know it, it, there's a, there's a whole sequence of a Viking attack that is really kind of uh, dark and frightening and and really cool looking. Um, but it's about the 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 Book of Kells, which is a real life uh, illuminated manuscript that I guess you can still see in in a in a museum in at a university in Ireland, I believe it's a, it's a, it's a hand written, hand illustrated, uh, Latin copy of the, the four gospels. Um, so the, the movie is kind of set around the process of making, making that manuscript and, and trying to protect it from the, the Viking invasions. Yeah, I think, um, I honestly, it had been probably, close to 10 years since I'd watched this. I think Joel's definitely watched it more recently than me. Um, but, and I remembered really loving it and I remembered how beautiful it was. Um, but I really didn't remember that much of the story beats. I remembered that, you know, it was about the book of Kells and that there was a point at which they were like running kind of to protect the book. But I didn't remember that most of it took place in the Abbey. And like, I just didn't remember a lot of the, the story. Um, and like I have now seen Wolfwalkers, their most recent one, several times, and I, I still think that story-wise, Wolfwalkers is probably my favorite. There's there's a lot of crossover, like theme and story-wise, between Wolfwalkers and and Secret of Kells. The whole th- you know the whole thing with the 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 walls being built to keep the outside danger out, and you know the sort of misguided attempts to protect the child from the outside dangers of the world. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of crossover thematically. Yes, and since I had not remembered most of the story, I did not remember that. But watching it, I was like, oh yeah, there is a lot of which makes sense. I mean, it's all coming from like the same mythology base. Uh, but I did have a lot of like I feel like I was just so awestruck by this movie when I watched it. And I was curious if I still would be because like you know as we've talked about before, like sometimes something like blows your mind because you've never seen anything like it before. Um, but it 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 really is still just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, but the other thing was that I I didn't remember having like a strong reason for why I felt we should watch this. And watching it now, I was like, there's so many reasons, but I suspect I was not able to articulate at the time because like, like Joel said, there's this whole like thing of like, you know, we're building a wall, like everything's sort of turning to fear and this idea that we're going to build a wall that's strong enough to protect us from these, these outside sources and and like letting your own culture die as a result like what are you left protecting you're like protecting lives of course but like one you're not going to be able to do that no matter how hard you try and two like you're you're like the your people the, the culture of your people you're letting die and then also the element of like part of what allows brendan the uh youngster in the movie who ends up sort of learning to be an illuminator is like this outside pagan influence that is as much part of what his brother was trying to protect or his brother, his uncle was trying to protect him from as the Vikings in a lot of ways. But it's like, you cannot make art in this like fearful vacuum. You can't do it. And if anyone has demonstrated that over my entire life, it has been evangelical Christians. Right. Cause that, that is, that is kind of the, you know, like the, the danger outside the walls is absolutely real. He's not wrong about that. Uh, but there's also like a lot of of beauty and inspiration to be found outside the walls, and you're losing all of that by walling yourself in, and you're also giving up the ability to 
help fix the stuff that is wrong. <laughs> You're just kind of surrendering the outside world to the darkness. Um, and it it is so, like I said, it is the, the Book of Kells is a copy of the Gospels. It never says that specifically in the movie. Uh, the movie kind of like, you know, they're, they're monks, but there's no, uh, there's no specific mentions of, of Jesus or like it, it kind of keeps it fairly neutral really in the religious sense, I would say. Um, and you do definitely have the, <clears throat> you know, the, the sort of pagan influences, which are both good and bad, right? We have the, was it Crum Crook? I think was the the sort of dark spirit that lives in the woods and and was an actual pagan deity in in Ireland um that at least according to Christian sources apparently was uh you know would people would do human sacrifices and stuff like that I don't know how I, I, who knows how accurate any of that Christians love to say that people other than them did human sacrifice it's always hard to know Right I think it was part of the supposedly St. Patrick ended the worship of, of Crum Crook, supposedly. That's all part of that whole mythology, which, and that is exactly what it is. <laughs> it's just as much mythology as, as all of the, the paganism stuff. Um, but there's also, like, he meets a, a, a fairy, I guess she is, named Aisling. Ashling? Yeah, I think he pronounces it Ashling. It looks like Aisling, but of course it's not in it's our Irish. Language. So, yeah. Um, who saves his life and, and helps him many times throughout the movie and, um, you know, gu- guides him through the, the woods to find the, the materials that they need to, to make the book. Um, and that, that whole sequence of him, like of them climbing through the trees together is one of the most beautiful ones in the movie. I think the, I love the way that they animate forests in these, like, it's like kind of symmetrical, and you get a lot of like branches growing into like spiral patterns like you see in like uh Celtic knotwork and stuff like that. Um, but it also still kind of looks like wild and overgrown and it's, it's, it's just really cool. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I think they, and particularly in this one, when he first goes into, so when he first decides to go into the forest because this monk has arrived, who is like a champion, champion illuminator. That's probably not what they say, but a, a famous illuminator. Well, he's, he's kind of like mythical in his own time. Like the monks there have all, have heard all these stories about him, like having a third hand that he uses to, to, to illustrate manuscripts and stuff. And then of course he shows up and he's just a guy. He's just like a, a you know, kind old monk who, who is working on this book but. with a cat and so like when he fir- he first is like okay like we need we need these berries from the forest to make green ink and the kid is not supposed to go outside the walls of course ever but he ends up deciding he is going to partly just out of curiosity really and also because the book is the most beautiful thing he's ever seen right he sees a page of the book this is a thing that like this this book is again like almost like mythical even at the time that looking at a page of it is enough to to give you like a whole new perspective on life essentially and it it does that for the kid and so he goes he climbs like through the wall like through these like you know as it's being built there's like spaces that he goes through and when he first goes out into the woods and we see this shot of the woods that's all extremely symmetrical and ha- like it looks like a cathedral like that's what it looks like and i i assume that was <laughs> intentional um that he's like that like there is just as much like if not more at this point, there is just as much like beauty and goodness and like glory of creation. If that's what you believe 
outside of the bad wall, like outside the wall. Where, where it's, the Abbey is basically, on a, like it, it basically looks like Isengard from the Lord of the Rings movies. Like it's a ring wall with one really tall tower in the middle of it. And then, you know, some like fields and smaller buildings and stuff within the wall. But it's, it's not a... Uh, uh, it is not like a well integrated design into nature or anything like that. It's 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 a very like sort of cold, uh, hard place, as opposed to the the cathedral of the forest. Yeah, and like the wonder on Brendan's face as he begins to take all of this and not knowing where he's going, realizing quickly he doesn't actually know what an oak tree looks like to get the berries from that he's supposed to get. But it's so beautiful, and he's just like never seen he's never seen anything like that, um, and. Of course, you know, then he runs into wolves because, of course, there is like there is danger in the woods. It's not that there's not danger in the woods. There is. But like, you know, he's also saved from the wolves by um, Ashlyn and then she helps him find the berries. And and like, again, I feel like once he like this is the thing, right? The goal is to keep you in the walls. The problem is once you go outside the walls and you see how much is out there. It gets really hard to keep you in the walls anymore. Like the, like the real danger is that you will realize there is more outside of this. Um, and I don't think we talked about any of this at group because I suspect that we were not to a point where we could have done that. We didn't necessarily know why it like spoke to us the way it did. Right. But this is, you know, this metaphor does, it tracks perfectly with the sort of upbringing that we had and the sort of upbringing that so many people we knew had that the, the you know, Brendan, the, the main character has never been outside the walls. He has no memory of anything outside the walls. He's been raised entirely inside this, this monastery, I get or abbey. Uh, and that is that is kind of the whole goal of of evangelical Christian parenting is to to make sure that your kids are never exposed to any of the stuff out there because it's all dangerous and then they'll want to leave like it's dangerous because it'll make them want to leave. Right. Like what they will tell you is that it is dangerous, like you can be harmed out in the world, which is, of course, true, but not relevant because you certainly can and usually are being harmed inside the walls as well um but like the real danger whether they admit it or not or whether they're always fully conscious of it or not is that you will realize that you don't have to stay here um and i think that when we saw this movie we were sort of like tiptoeing outside the walls um and starting to be like but wait like i mean that was in a lot of ways it was the whole fucking reason we were running this group right of being like no, no there's it, it absolutely was that was that was literally the, the the we had just sort of recently discovered like oh there's all this stuff that comes from outside the walls that we still feel like is speaking to the things that we were taught and that we grew up with so why aren't we why aren't we looking at this stuff? And not just talking about, but like doing it better, like show, like showing things better. Like we were, God, I, I am frequently really relieved in some ways to have been raised in the eighties and nineties instead of now um, in several ways. Not because I think that like times are so, so sorry, my dog losing his mind. Um, <clears throat> not because I think times are like, you know, incredibly better or worse or like you know raw raw technology but like it's just like i do think that a combination of our parents being who they were and we talked about this a little bit last time in terms of like them not being as weird about some things as others um and i think that some of like the political vice that has happened to the right like it was there it was always there but i feel like at this point there's so much more like crushing pressure and i i suspect that our upbringing would have been much worse 
in terms of like what we were allowed access to if we had been growing up in the 2010s than if we were growing up then when growing up in the 90s and like <clears throat> but of course also there was just less access to things right like we didn't have the internet in the same way um but yeah i mean like watching it i was just like damn like this really like this was what it felt like this uh, and there were bad things out there of course there were but like also like locking yourself in like paralyzes you right like the only actual way to protect people at this point was not to build a wall it was in fact to be able to be flexible and be able to move when they needed to move and be able to run like that's what the other monk keeps telling him is like we have to run like but no instead we're gonna we're gonna take this stand and we're not gonna move and we're not gonna change and this is gonna be enough and god's gonna protect us and we're gonna forget everything else and so we'll lose not only the lives of, you know, our people, but we'll lose our people. <laughs> yeah, there's there's this whole conflict within the the abbey where he has all these these people who they're they're monks and their their purpose is supposed to be that they're making manuscripts. That's what they're supposed to be doing, and they have they have this conflict because all of these guys are like, why bother having artists here if all we're going to do is build a wall. But his whole thing is we have to we have to get the wall. We have to make ourselves safe before we can bother with anything else. And, you know, of course, it's a it's a fool's errand. There's no making yourself safe. It doesn't work. Uh, and then nothing else gets done. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think that, like, a thing that I was starting to really try to grapple with around this time and that I still think about a lot, um, <clears throat> but was like. And we've talked about it on this podcast. Like, why did this tradition that I came from that claimed to have, like, you know, the greatest story ever told and all of this stuff, why was there such an incredible, like, poverty of imagination, of art, of, of any of the things that I loved and cared about? Like, how, if this story was so good, if this culture was so good, then why does nothing come out of it? Jesus himself said that it would be that your fruits would know them by. And of course, they don't include art in that. But like, you fucking should. Like, it matters if you cannot tell a compelling or like meaningful story because you've been boiled down to propaganda and nothing more. Like, and I think that we were kind of like, you know, at this point, I don't think we were engaging in a lot of Christian uh, media but like because still, of that music but even even at least for me i you know i was still listening to a lot of christian music but even that stuff i had like you know there there is definitely a a a poverty of of creativity and and real artistic work coming out of christianity um but th there is still like good music being made in that circle and i feel like you know, by that time, I had kind of like narrowed down the Christian music I was listening to 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 a pretty a pretty small circle, um, and yeah, we were never, you know, other than like Veggie Tales, I guess that we were really into as kids, which honestly are still probably some of the. I think there's probably more wit and and artistry in a lot of those than there is in most you know Christian filmmaking. Um, but yeah, we were we were never into like Christian movies. I think we were always pretty disdainful of those of what we saw. I mean, yes, and also there just weren't that many options. Like, I mean, like at this point the Christian film industry has in many ways exploded over the last, you know, 5 to 10 years and Pure Flicks and God's Not Dead has really like paved a way. Um, but that wasn't true 
when we were young. Like there just wasn't that many like options for us. I think that like some of the Sherwood churches or what I think that stuff early stuff came out like when I was in my like late teens or something. So we had like the Kirk Cameron Left Behind movie and stuff that came out when I was a kid. But like uh, we watched that when I was a teenager and it was, you know, it was just like a transparently shitty movie. Like it, to anyone who had ever watched a good movie, <laughs> if you put in Kirk Cameron's left behind movie, it's like, this is just so obviously terrible. And, but that was, you know, that was, that was pretty typical for the, the works of art that were coming out of that circle. And yeah. And I think that I was really like, that was something that I, I really had a hard time understanding like it just doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense if your if your beliefs are so, you know, transcendent. How you can only make garbage? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And so watching this, I was really like, damn. Like a lot of these, like a lot of these things don't matter to me in the way they did now because at this point I've lived outside the wall for most of my life and not not most yet but what feels like most of my life most days um for years uh, over a decade and so it's hard to like look back and be like oh yeah like like <laughs> but like it did stand out to me in this in ways i wasn't expecting i feel like i was not i don't know i i, I was like oh shit one yes i can completely see why we wanted to watch this for group two i don't think we explained why we wanted to watch this for group or were able to at the time <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't have any specific memory of the conversation we had, but you know, we were we were all kind of in love with the movie having having watched it, you know, within the last year or so and and we're looking for an excuse to watch it again, but yeah, I I think a lot of the I I think you're right that a lot of the the stuff that you're talking about that would have been kind of knocking on the back of our minds, uh, we we maybe wouldn't have been really conscious of yet. Which I really enjoy finding in movies being like, oh, look, you were looking for this. You just couldn't you just couldn't hear it yet. Like it was there, but you were you weren't there yet. And to be clear, when Joel says all I I don't think that my dad loved this movie. No, no, I'm talking about you, me and Jared, who were the ones who put together the list of of potential movies to watch for the thing. That's who I'm talking about. <laughs> just saying, I think our dad was like, I don't think he hated it, but like puzzled just like puzzled why he doesn't he doesn't have a strong artistic palette our father um also like you know it it's a lot of catholicism type of feels and there's you know even though it's not super but like it's like a type of religion that our parents don't subscribe to and we tend i remember you and i tended to find a lot more like interest in beauty and some of like the high church stuff that we had never been exposed to and our parents never really well, right, because that felt like another thing that was outside the wall to us, ironically enough. That's how that's how small the wall was that we grew up in. A Catholic church felt like it was outside the wall. Correct. Um, and of course, our mother had grown up Lutheran, so she had grown up in a more high church situation. But dad hadn't. And like they just so to mom, I always assumed it felt like leaving behind. Like it probably felt the opposite for her, like she was leaving something more structured. But um but yeah, no, I mean, it's still, it's a gorgeous movie. It's only like 75 minutes. It's like... It, yeah, that's another thing it's got going for it. It's real short. It's easy. It's an easy watch, as well as being just incredibly beautiful and, and you know, resonant. Uh, there's there's a scene where the where Brendan fights the... Crap, what's it called again? The... Crom Kruak, I think. That sounds right. The Crom Kruak, which is just an incredible, incredible scene of this, like, sort of... It's like a it's like a giant worm, like a like a um, sort of 
but like made of like shapes and stuff. It's not like a real song. Yeah, it's like squared edges instead of round, but it's 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 kind of it's reminiscent of the um what's the thing called the the snake eating its own tail thing and which is kind of what it it ends up becoming at the end of the sequence uh but it it is pretty incredible. Morgan pointed out that they thought a lot of the snake looked like the wall, like that it was, yeah. Was- yeah, I mean it kind of looks like yeah, like a a line of stone because it has the the squared off edges and stuff, yeah. But it's all very like he's like sort of floating through this space with like and like draws a line with chalk in the air. It's all very like sort of not not heart literal in that sense, but it's it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's kind of like a um you know, he's he is he's gone into this uh this cave that belongs to this evil spirit and it's sort of a it's not supposed to be like a literal physical world. It's just to be kind of a spirit spirit world. I think that he's in fighting the thing, and it's it it's yeah, it's a really cool visualization of it. And he gets in there because Ashlyn like lifts the gate for him, and there's like this. Honestly, I feel like if I see this child, it would terrified me. She's like with her head down and her hair down, and she's like, "You must like you must light up the world or whatever that he says that the illuminate and looks up, and her face is like a skull and like this sort of last moment and then like the the door falls on her i i think there's moments in this movie that have cool like sort of gateway horror things that you could show a kid if if they're you know get interested in sort of darker stuff and you're trying to ease them into it i think this might actually be a pretty good and i i kind of wonder how like really young kids would respond to the animation in this because i still feel like for me with all of the the cartoon saloon stuff I really kind of have to focus on the visuals more while watching it than I'm used to doing with animated stuff because there's all this like complex shapes going on and stuff. And sometimes it takes me a minute to even figure out what the perspective is, you know, and like it's always worth taking that minute because it's always really cool when you figure it out. But sometimes it does take me a minute. And I wonder how like little kids would respond to that, uh, you know, who have maybe only ever seen much simpler animation. Like would it would it? Would it, would they latch onto it or would it just be confusing for them? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could. I keep meaning to have our nie- my nieces over for uh, two separate nights, not together. That's too much, but one at a time. Uh, I could. I guess I could try to show Audrey and Hazel and see. I Audrey is older now. She's she's eleven, but um, but Hazel's like seven, and and they probably have mostly watched simpler animation stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try to show that to them at some point. I have the Blu-ray set. Uh, I do. I do think there's some like, I think there's probably some parallels, particularly with the forest stuff with like Sleeping Beauty, which is you know one of the more impressive Disney animated movies. I think I, I think there's some, uh, you know, the, the people who have only watched Disney movies wouldn't you know he wouldn't necessarily be entirely lost in this or anything, but. I'm curious, yeah, because I, like I said, I do still have to, I I often found myself like in, like the, I talked earlier about the, the sequence in the Abbott's, uh, his workroom or whatever, where he had all the stuff drawn on the floors and everything. And I, it took me a minute to figure out like, oh, we're looking at the floor and also them standing on the floor, but it's like on the same plane. So it it took me a minute to figure out what it was. It it almost looked like they're standing on the edge of a precipice or something, but it's like, no, that's the floor. It's just on the same plane as they are. It is like, it's great. It's super imaginative. It looks great. But I do wonder if it would confuse some people. I definitely think that like for people who like, I think for me, 
when I watched this initially, which we probably would have been like 2010 or something. Um, <clears throat> like, I don't think I understood the things animation could do. Like, I think I have mostly seen at this point, like largely like Disney, Pixar, like that kind of thing. And some anime, I, you know, I had watched some anime growing up too, but that is a whole different thing that animation could do. And like, this was like a completely novel storytelling method using animation, which I think was part of why it was just like so mind blowing. Like it's really like every single frame has, like they're all beautiful. You you could you could put up almost any frame of this movie as a poster on your wall, but like um, they have like so much like, living around the edges like things are just constantly moving like joel says there's these like shapes and stuff that are like drawn into like the tree bark and the leaves and the like it's just it feels so and especially like like it's like when they go into the forest from the abbey like it's just such a stark contrast there's also this incredible sequence that i love after they get away from the vikings where they have like this triptych stained glass window thing yeah they use that it was used once earlier in the movie too yeah but yeah so it's like three panels of landscape and you see the characters like crossing them one at a time really fucking cool yeah (laughs) and and then like passage of time and movement through space it's really cool Yes, and the later one in particular, it shows them like getting older. Um, it's just, and the music is also beautiful. Very, I mean, if you're if you like Irish, like <laughs> Celtic sort of sounds, it's very gorgeous. Um, it's it's just so good. You should go watch it. It's so good. Yeah, they, they, there's a really great box set that I think we both have. The Cartoon Saloon did a, a box set of the the folklore trilogy that you know it. Like the box set itself is a work of art, and like you know, you could you could put the box set on your wall, and it looks great. And all th- all three of those movies are are incredible to watch. So I I would recommend investing in that if you have the opportunity. Uh, I think Wolfwalkers was an Apple movie, so it's probably easy to find still. But the other two, I think, have, you know, have kind of been on and off streaming services, uh, and I don't know that you can find them for free anywhere, at least right now. Yeah, that could be. I think, um, like, unfortunately, I think that people just have kind of forgotten about this one. Um, at least I feel like that sometimes. Yeah, it looks like you can you can rent it for two dollars on Amazon if you <laughs> like. But yeah, it's 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 beautiful. Watch it on a big TV. Watch it in the highest def you can. Like, it's it's just a really incredible piece of art. Now and now, I want to go back and rewatch like i don't think i've seen song of the sea since theaters i haven't either i've only ever seen that one once i also i you know i watched wolf walkers two or three times but i've still only seen song of the sea the one time so i i definitely need to do that one again oh yeah we went to go see wolf walkers and theaters together didn't we because it was at our local i theater. think we saw song of the sea together too didn't we Probably. I, I, it was when i was living, <laughs> it was when i was living down in portland i saw it at the theater there i was thinking you were there but i don't remember for sure i mean probably i feel like this is one of those things that we have often watched together anyway um do you have any other thoughts on this that we want to talk about before we move forward? Um, I do. <laughs> what What did you think of the way it showed the Vikings? Yeah, I. They were. It was kind of basically like fairly similar to the way it showed the wolves on it. Like they were definitely kind of animalistic. Um, but... Yeah, and the only time we hear them speak is to be like gold. I mean, look. I... The Vikings as such do not exist anymore, although I suppose they're more our ancestors personally with our background than uh, the Irish folks. But the Vikings don't exist anymore. And I I feel like overall I'm okay with extinct colonizers being portrayed as animals. I I feel like I'm okay with that. I don't know. One thing that I thought of was that it, it kind of reminded me of like, particularly the sequence with the attack on the Abbey was kind of like, it was like a 
ki- more kid-friendly version of the sequence in The Northman where they attacked that that town. And, you know, it's it's uh, they, they, there was a lot of brutality in that that time. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not necessarily bothered by it. I'm I'm in general I'm I I, I kind of flinch away from anything that shows people as sort of animalistic. Um, but I do think it. I think it worked okay in this with, uh, you know, the, they, they are part and parcel with the, the sort of wild danger that exists outside the walls. Um, rather than like, they're not really a people group (laughs) in in this, in this movie. It's all, it's all kind of part of the fairy tale. Right. I was going to say, I think to me, it felt like a part of the mythology where we had all of these sort of like monsters and, and such. And, yeah, I think if I I agree that like in terms of like portraying people as animalistic, that's not my favorite. Um, and I did definitely notice it watching it this time in a way I probably didn't the last time I did. I think I came away from it feeling okay about it, but I would also understand if someone did not. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean that's a that's a very small qualm though, at least for me. I mean, I I, I gave this four and a half out of five. Uh, it is it is definitely. It is up there among my favorite movies. I, I'm sure I will watch it many more times in my life. So, for sure, same, same. Okay, well, we get to actually pick a movie this time. We have we have 31 movies remaining. We are slowly chipping away. We might have well a year or a little more left, but we're we're getting there. We're getting there. Okay, 31. You said yes. What is number 18? Number 18 is Jesus Camp. That's one that I still think about a lot and have been... I don't want to say I've been looking forward to rewatching it, because I'm sure it's going to be... I was That was tough to watch then. I'm sure it's uh, going to be heartbreaking now, but it's uh, it's quite a movie from what I remember, so... I think I'm definitely looking forward to watching it with Morgan. I think when I watch some of these that have, like... Um, like I didn't watch Hell House with Morgan before we watched it last time, but I want to watch it with them. Um, and John, I think these things that are like really strongly tied to our upbringing, it, it can be interesting to watch it with someone for whom it is not at all. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's available on uh, on Amazon Prime. So great. Um, yeah. So so that is okay. Of the one, of the ones we could choose here, there are a handful that I am not looking forward to. I think still more that I am looking forward to than that I am not. So that counts. For we've I, we've got a, at least a few left that are like some of my favorite movies that I remember that we watched for this that we haven't got to yet. So like, there's definitely lots of good stuff still coming. If nothing else, we have Twelve Angry Men still on here. So like, oh, I didn't remember we watched that for for this group. Yeah, I haven't watched that in a long time. That's a great. Me neither. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well. On the upside, it has not been months upon months since we last recorded, Um, so I do not have that many movies, although I do have some um, that I am looking forward to talking about, and then I think we are also going to talk a little bit about what TV we'd been watching. Yeah, we skipped that last time because we had just been going for way too long, so. (laughs) So, I think you had me go first last time, so do you want to go first this time? Correct. Although, the the first thing that I have is Killers of the Flower Moon, which, of course, we saw together. We must both discuss that, obviously. yeah, there I mean there's there's lots and lots and lots to be said about that movie and I really need to see it again. Uh I was kind of hoping to have seen it again by now, but I haven't haven't uh haven't had the time because it is 
as has been widely publicized, it is quite lengthy. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's an it's an afternoon's commitment to watch it, basically. But uh, worth it. <laughs> but absolutely worth it. I mean, it's uh, it, it's incredible. It's an incredible movie. I think it's. <sighs> I, so yeah, I'm ha- again having only seen it once. I'm hesitant to say it's one of Scorsese's best because he is definitely one of those. As the best filmmakers always are, he's one of those people that you really have to watch his stuff multiple times to to even really get your head around it. Um, but it's uh, it was just it was it had been a long time since we'd had anything new from him, right? And so it was like. It it was it was it was good to have that voice back, uh, but also you know he was he's saying things that I don't think he's really said before with this movie, and you know I, th- I think it's probably one of DiCaprio's best performances, and it's all the proof anyone should ever need that De Niro certainly still has the the good stuff going. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he, you know his his later career has not been uh, as uh, um glorious as his uh his earlier career i think it's fair to say but he can clearly st- i was actually kind of um, i was surprised by how much de niro was in the movie i was expecting his role to be a lot smaller but he's he's a i mean he's he probably has the second uh, maybe third most screen time of any character in the movie he's in it a lot and he's really fucking good um yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk and 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 discourse because of course there is a lot of discourse going on around this movie. And I I don't think that it's without fault. I don't think that like I think um oh gosh, I can't remember his name, but the the consultant who on the red carpet gave an interview that's been being sort of widely passed around. Yeah, that was going around Twitter a lot when uh, when they did the premiere. Um where he talked about like that he thought like to some extent people seem to be passing it around as like a slam on Scorsese and I don't think it was I think that he what he seemed to ultimately be saying was like I think that he has done as well as a white man could do tell it but gosh could tell it but like gosh I wish that our own people could tell our own stories which is a completely valid criticism to have um, and I will say that as I ruminated on the movie for the next day or two I did I wish that he would have given Molly a little more voice in the third act. I felt like I actively missed it and didn't always like understand what was going on with her in a way I wish I would have. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's a four and a half and it'll probably stay at a four and a half unless I like rewatch it and, and find a whole new set of things that I didn't realize before, which is always possible. Um, but it's, it's an incredible movie. It's an incredible, it's an incredible, it's a, it's just a brutal commentary on a commentary on, the men that he's written stories about his whole life on the country that he's written stories about his whole life on the, like what, like, Oh God, they just, I just kept feeling like a chill in my fucking bones thinking about like watching Molly and Ernest. I don't know if like, I feel like spoilers is a weird thing to say here. Cause it's history, but um, of like, you know, that, that like, I believe that he thinks he loves her, but like, you know, and I don't understand the racial component of this, obviously, but like the idea that like a white man can can believe they love you and still harm you or possibly kill you. And like <laughs> and like the just like the sheer like mind numbing horror of that, I guess that like there is the like she she loves him and she, you know, as as wide eyed as she goes into this relationship. And I think that Scorsese does portray her as going in relatively understanding of what the situation is like it's it's not there's no safety 
in it. It's it's just it's it's a brutal, it's a it's it's an incredible watch. Um, and also, wow, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, we should say uh, Lily Gladstone, the actress who played Molly, uh, is, I mean, incredible. She's been doing really good work for a few years now. She was in um, Certain Women. Uh, that was the first thing that I saw her in. Kelly Reichert's Certain Women. I still haven't seen that. Oh, you haven't watched that? Oh my god! It's I mean it's a great movie, but she's in the she's in the segment with with Kristen Stewart. It's the two of them, and that's I mean it's it, that movie is kind of a it's like a three separate stories kind of, and that's one of them. And it, that one is definitely my favorite of the three, and and in large part because of how good she is. Yeah, I gotta see it. Yeah, I I, I hope very much that she has a. a a, a long and fruitful career ahead of her because she's she's really she's really something. Um, and Jesse Plemons is in it too. Who I also <laughs> he's not he's actually not in it very much. He doesn't come into the movie until the third act, and it it ended up being a much smaller part than I was expecting it to be. Same. Um, but I think that's I think that's for the best. I think the. I kind of wonder because there was Scorsese had said in an interview leading up to this that during the the writing process he ended up kind of rewriting the whole thing because he realized that he had misbalanced the story and had made it too focused on the white people and the investigation and all that uh to be clear people told him that that like i don't i i just want to clarify that i think he listened to feedback rather than just realized himself yeah yeah that's fair uh but i i was i suspect that his first draft of the movie was probably much more about the FBI and their investigation, just based on the kind of movies that he usually makes. That's my understanding um, from what I've read. Yeah. So, and I, I think, uh, you know, definitely the, the, the good, good of him to good for him to have, have listened to that feedback. And uh, I think the results are really, really, it's, I think it's, it's just, it's really something special. I think like it's, it's not a kind of movie that we have a lot of. Absolutely. And obviously, I desperately, desperately hope this is not Scorsese's last movie. Um, but also, if it is, it's a hell of a thing to go out on. So, yeah, it, it particularly with not not going to spoil anything, but particularly with the way the movie ends, it feels like it, it feels like he partially made that with that in mind that like this may end up being my last thing, and this is this is what I want the last thing I put out there to be. I mean, if you've read any of his really always remarkably thoughtful profiles, he definitely thinks about his own death a lot and what he is or is not going to be able to continue to accomplish. So yeah, I suspect that that is the case, but go see it in theaters if you can. It's, I mean, if you can't, then it is what it is. Watch it when it comes out, but it's, it's really remarkable. Okay. Um, uh, I watched Night of the Living Dead because, of course, we're still coming up to Halloween here as of recording time. Today's, what, the 28th, 29th? I'm going to edit it so it should be up on Halloween, I think. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, okay. Or uh, maybe next week. I don't know. Yeah, usually you wait a week, don't you? I don't know. Anyway, um, so, you know, I've been been watching spooky stuff. And uh, so, yeah, watch Night of the Living Dead, which is still one of my favorite sort of classic horror movies. Um, I still think zombies are scariest in black and white. I don't usually find zombies all that scary. Um, but something about the, the black and white is, is very off putting. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a classic for a reason. I love that one. Uh, then I watched, have you seen John Carpenter's in the mouth of madness? I have not. So I had watched this at some point in the past. I think probably sh my guess would be I probably saw it shortly after I watched Halloween, which I really loved the first time I saw it. And so I was watching more of his stuff. 
but I, I had kind of categorized it in my head as like sort of lesser John Carpenter. And I didn't remember almost, I hardly remembered anything about it. Like I had, I had almost no memory of it, but it's been getting talked about a lot over the last few weeks, I think because Criterion put it up as part of their like nineties horror collection that they're, they're doing for October this year. Uh, so I decided to watch it again and it's really fucking good. Like it's, you, you should definitely watch it. It's, it's, it has a, it has a lot of the like, um, sort of Lovecraftian, like cosmic horror thing, which is a, a thing that I tend to really like and is really hard to do well in movies. Like there aren't a lot of good movies that there aren't a lot of movies at all that attempt it, but I don't think there are a lot of good ones. Um, but it's, uh, it's really good. It's, it's Sam Neill as an insurance investigator who's investigating the disappearance of a horror author who has like, he's supposed to have an, a new book coming out that is supposed to be like his books are like massively successfully has like this devoted following and he's supposed to have this new book coming out and he has disappeared along with the manuscript. So the, the publishing company hires him to, to try to find the guy. And, uh, so it starts out almost as like this sort of film noir kind of thing. He's like the, the cynical detective. Um, but you know, it ends up, he, you know, goes to find the guy and, and finds himself in this town that seems to have come from one of the guy's books. And the people there seem to be transforming into monsters. <laughs> and like, it's, it's such a fucking cool movie. Um, and I, I think Sam Neill is is doesn't get enough credit for his uh, his career as a horror actor. I feel like it doesn't get talked about that much when people talk about Sam Neill. But like he was in this, he was in Possession, which is another amazing horror movie. He was in Event Horizon, which is a really great sci-fi horror that also has some of that kind of cosmic horror stuff going on in it. And even like Jurassic Park, you know, that definitely has some some horror stuff to it. So I, he's really good in it. Um, and it's just, it's a really cool movie. I think it might be, if I had to guess, I would say it might be, might have been John Carpenter's last like really great movie. It came out in the mid 90s. Um, but it's great. I really need to buy it now. Like I, I'm, I can't believe that I had, I had sort of relegated it to this lesser status in my mind all this time. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely recommend that one. Uh, and then I went to see Dawn of the Dead because they were playing the original Dawn of the Dead at the theater here. They re-released it for its, I think, 45th anniversary or something. Uh, and Dawn of the Dead also I had only ever seen once and hadn't really liked it that much the first time I saw it. It was kind of a weird... Most people talk about Dawn of the Dead as being... Even people who really love Night of the Living Dead, most people talk about Dawn of the Dead as being the best of, of Romero's zombie movies. That's the one with the mall. Correct, yeah. Um, and I just, I remembered just not, it didn't land that well for me. And I, I definitely like night of a lot better. And then I remembered when I watched day of the dead, the third one, I also liked that one better than Dawn of the dead, which no one ever says, uh, I still haven't rewatched that one, but turns out Dawn of the dead was much better than I gave it credit for. I liked it way better seeing it again. It was really cool to see it in the theater. And again, I remembered almost nothing about it beyond the basic premise. Like I didn't really remember anything specific from it. Um, but it's it's really good. It has some uh, a lot of like really good chemistry between some of the leads is a big a big help a big part of what makes it work. Um, again, I do find the zombies less scary in color. They have like kind of a almost like bluish tint to their skin that I think just kind of looks goofy all the time. Um, 
but the movie is also more fun than Night of the Living Dead. Like it has a lot more humor to it than Night of the Living Dead does not have. There's not a lot of humor going on in that movie, uh, but there's a lot of like kind of fun, funny almost like wish fulfillment stuff in Dawn of the Dead with them living in this deserted mall, you know, and like setting up a home for themselves where they could just wander through the stores and take whatever they want. Um, so yeah, really, really good. I'm really glad I went back to that one and checked it out again. Uh, and then I have one more um, less successful. Uh, <laughs> I watched 2021's Werewolves Within. Have you heard about that movie? I've heard people talk like I don't really know anything about it, but I like have heard the name. I don't know. Um, sounds like maybe I shouldn't bother. So I, I heard about it when it came out and I, I think it's based on like a video game, but it's like a I think it's kind of like an indie game that's basically like a um, Among Us type like sort of mystery game. I think I'd like I, my understanding at least is that the game itself is fairly simple and they just kind of used it as the premise, but it has all these people in it that I, I really like. Sam Richardson is the lead who I think is hilarious. Um, George Basil, Sarah Burns, Michael Chernus, a bunch of people who are like Michaela Watkins. I, I tend to really like people who I know are really funny and like, I would, I would be excited to see a movie with this group of people. And I'd been kind of wanting to watch it ever since it came out, but I hadn't gotten around to it. And the the premise is this group of people get get uh, they get stuck in this like isolated, I think Vermont uh, resort hotel during a snowstorm, and there's some sort of creature in the woods or person in the woods or something that's killing people. Um, I've heard a lot of people recently over the last few years complain about a thing with modern comedies where instead of writing jokes they just like hire funny people and have them improv stuff and i feel like i haven't really seen anything that felt like that to me maybe just because i don't watch that much mainstream comedy um the entire movie felt like that all of the characters were really annoying i was literally i i literally had the thought 20 minutes into the movie, I was like, this, I'm really not into this. Maybe I should turn this off because these characters are so annoying. But then I was, I, I thought about it and I was like, well, but the premise is that they've got this like monster that's out there killing people. Maybe the annoying characters will get killed off soon. <laughs> I won't have to watch them anymore. So let's keep watching it. That was literally the thought process that kept me watching it. Always a good side when you're <laughs> for the death of the people you're watching. Um, there, there are a few things about it that work. There are a few genuine laughs, very few. Uh, there's a big plot twist at the end. That's about the easiest thing to see coming in the world that we've talked about this before. I'm not usually great at seeing plot twists coming, but I figured this one out about a third of the way through the movie. Um, it's just not very good, uh, which is a shame. I wish, I wish I could say otherwise, cause I was looking forward to it and it has people in it that I really like, but it kind of sucked. So, on that note, that's all I have for movies. Do you want to do your movies and then we'll do TV or? Uh, yeah, let's let's okay. do that. Um, so I, okay, so after I think on Sunday after we last recorded, uh, I I was trying to figure out what I wanted to watch. And I was having a hard time, and Morgan was like, "But you love Tommy Lee Jones," and I was like, "I do love Tommy Lee Jones. It's an accurate statement." And Morgan was like, "Then we should watch The Burial on Amazon," which I hadn't even heard of. Um, <laughs> But I do think they were like, you also like courtroom dramas. And I was like, I do like courtroom dramas. These are two things that I do enjoy. You are correct. Um, and it is a courtroom drama with Tommy Lee Jones and also Jamie Foxx. Um, and they are so fun and so good together. It's based 
roughly on a true story of this guy who essentially like he owned a he owned a funeral home that his in like in i think alabama or mississippi one of the the most southern of southern states um he owned a funeral home that like his father had handed down to him and he had some money problems and he was planning on selling off a part of his like chain of funeral homes and basically like this big corporation came in and, and tried to like starve him out essentially like they kept putting off signing on the deal so that he would then whatever and so he is trying to do a contract law dispute um, to get them to pay up so that he, um, but like, as is perhaps not shocking with this type of organization, um, they are also like price gouging and like, you know, particularly in like poor black communities and doing all this kind of stuff. And they, his son's friend from college who has just become a lawyer, um, is like, we need to get this Jamie Foxx guy who is like. Uh, who is uh, like an ambulance chaser functionally, but he's really dramatic and he's really good. Like the, the, the County where we're having this is like 80% black or something. And like this guy is really, his son's friend is also black. Um, and this guy is really, is really good with that. And so in a lot of ways, it's just a really enjoyable movie to watch. Tommy Lee Jones and Jamie Foxx, both just, a plus fantastic together doing a great job there's a lot of stuff it's it's you know if you like the courtroom drama and i know that you do as well um it's a great it's a great version of that it's a good time i do so spoilers for history i guess but not particularly spoilers if you ever watch a courtroom drama he does win um his case uh and he gets he gets awarded like significantly higher damages that like emotional damages or whatever right and like, but like the thing is that the reason he won this case is definitely because like they like essentially Jamie Foxx like found all of these black people from these areas to come in and testify to like the horrible shit that these people have been doing. And like, as soon as he got this money, I was like, motherfucker, you better like, you better keep what you were initially going and give it all back to these communities. And we get like the scroll thing at the end, you know, where it's like, you know, he got, I think his initial award of 22 million or something got down to like 10, but it was still like quite a bit. And he started a trust and over 40% of that money has gone to black communities and organizations. And I was like, that is not enough, sir. I don't know. And like, I think there's something really insidious in some ways about this kind of movie, which to be clear, I really enjoyed watching, but I think that's why it's insidious is this idea of like the good white man who like, you know, him and Jamie Foxx's character became very good friends. And apparently these two men were, were friends until their death or until his death, whatever, one of their deaths whichever came first and like and and like i feel like that's like a story that white people want to hear that like you can be the good white man in the middle of of all this but like it's like look like maybe his grandfather wasn't in the clan maybe he was who knows but um but like that's a big plot point at some point that a character that he has been friends with was his grandfather was in the clan and he refuses to like denounce him because he is his grandfather even if he thinks that and like but like you've been friends with this man for years you've been going to his white fucking country club where he's ordering around you know the black staff and like it, like it feels like a story to me where there's like there's an attempt to hand to be like no you can be a good white person in the middle of this you can be that just like that good man and it's like you can't you you can't you can't wash off what you were born with you can keep actively working at it and you can keep working on being anti-racist but i think that this type of like 
this type of like folklore, whatever it actually is, is like designed to try to to like soothe white consciences to some extent to make you believe that you can be one of the good ones. And so like I have a lot of like complicated feelings about, but like in terms of just like a movie to sit down and watch, it was a fun time, and it's on Amazon Prime, and I enjoyed myself. And also, <laughs> I had noticed that movie on there, but I hadn't really heard anything about it. So interesting. Okay. Um, and then we uh, continue. We're so far behind in our criterion, as always, but we're still chugging along. Um, and we watched uh, Lynn Ramsey's uh, Rat Catcher, which um, I think was one of her very early ones. I have seen now Rat Catcher. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. And you were never really here. I don't really like any of these movies. I, I, I think, and it's not a slam on Lynn Ramsey. I think she's very good at what she does. She seems to have a a real interest in children in extremely traumatic danger that I find, like, really unpleasant to watch. Like, I, I think she's good at what she's doing, but I don't like watching what she's doing. Um, so that was that was not a, that was a swing and a miss for me. Well made, but eh. Um... <sighs> And then we watched the next one, which was called The Heart of a Dog. Heart of a Dog. Um, have you have you heard of this movie? I, I remember seeing a trailer for it. Uh, yeah, I, it 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 did not look like something I wanted to watch. Put it that way. I was very high while we were watching, it, which I think was the appropriate way to watch it. It's better than you would think for as like weird and abstract as it kind of is. I still didn't exactly love it, but I didn't hate it. It's only 75 minutes, which is long for this sort of thing, but not long generally. I don't know. It was it was all right. It's interesting if you like, like, I don't even know what to say it's about. It's like, it's a personal essay film. It is a lot of like animated and like random shots of things. I mean, probably not random, but like, you know, sort of out of context shots of things and stuff. And it is interesting more so than I expected, but I would not watch it again. <laughs> Silly. So, and then we went to go see Killers of the Flower Moon. And then when we got back from Killers of the Flower Moon, we watched Tremors, which I had never seen. I saw the original Tremors once a very long time ago. I remember enjoying it, but. Yeah, it's a fun little movie. It's like a fun little movie that I feel like we don't really make anymore. It's like, you know, all these, you know, incredibly young uh, Kevin bacon yeah kevin bacon and it just I, I don't know it's fun i didn't love it but it's fun um and then monday we went to go see our local indie theater was playing two of pedro almodovar's short films uh the new one strange way of life uh where ethan hawk and pedro pascal play gay cowboys and uh one from a couple years ago called the human voice uh with tilda swinton and um, and then it had like a thirty minute interview with him afterwards, which was excellent. I really, I was, I was so pleased that we got that interview. I feel like he's just such an he's such an interesting guy. Uh, but like, um, the Ethan ha- the Strange Way of Life. Uh, I wish it had been an actual movie. It felt a little rushed to me. And play, it didn't feel like a short film to me. Um, and it felt sometimes it felt like things were being rushed or a little awkward or whatever. Um, but I mean, it was still. I mean, you know, they're great. Pedro Pascal is wearing this incredible, like, bright green jean jacket that is so good, and I want it. Um, like, it's very beautiful, obviously. It just didn't quite... I actually really did like The Human Voice, which is a lot more, like, abstract. Um, apparently sort of based on a play, but I, I don't know. Um, where Tilda Swinton is essentially, like, in the process of, like, a man has dumped her, and... 
I honestly don't know what to say about it. it it's, it's a weird movie. Tilda Swinton is very compelling in it, as Tilda Swinton has a tendency to be. Um, and I, it was an enjoyable 30 minutes. And then we continued on our Criterion thing, and we watched Safe, which I know you just watched a few weeks ago. Well, it's been a few months now because I, I watched it before. <laughs> yeah, I talked about it a couple episodes ago. You watched it this year. <laughs> um, I fucking loved it. I I really wasn't sure, like, with a little bit I knew about it going in. I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is... But I... It's maybe brilliant? Is it? Yeah, there, there's something compelling about it that I still can't quite put my finger on, and I'll definitely have to watch it again. But, yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it taps into so many things. It was interesting watching it with Morgan because all of that wellness shit is what Morgan grew up with. So that is much more like 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 their upbringing experience as opposed to ours. Um, but like, you know, there's uh, there were just so many things that were, I mean, obviously, like, you know, it's the 90s and Todd Haynes being a gay man and just generally being the 90s, I think AIDS was obviously very forefront of his mind and that comes up in different ways throughout the, throughout the film. But there's also just like this whole thing about like the wellness industry and the way that like it preys on people who doctors are not listening to right like i mean like and i think we just see that over and over again with her I mean, you know i was thinking about how i don't remember exactly when we determined that fibromyalgia was a real thing but it wasn't that long ago like it wasn't and like you have these things where primarily women were like coming in and being like something is wrong and doctors were essentially for hundreds of years now being like eh, hysteria probably like i mean that's what it boils down to and so they become like i listened to a podcast once talking about wellness stuff and i think they were specifically talking about like gwyneth paltrow and goop and some of this kind of stuff and how how much they are like laser targeted on these people who are not being listened to and the more they're not listened to and the more they're not taken seriously, the more things sort of spiral and the more open they are to spending money on someone who seems to listen to them. Um, and that you will always have shucksters out here who are who are willing to pay. And the more time you spend in these spaces, the more your brain is going to start. Like, it's it's a cyclical thing, you know? And I, I honestly think it's incredible Julia Moore performance. Um, just, it's, it's fucking great. I, I think I really, really loved it. So that was, that was cool. I wasn't sure I would when I went into it. Um, and then on Friday night, Eric and Morgan and I watched uh, Skinamarink. I still have not watched that. I, I've been curious about it for a long time, but it feels like the kind of thing that I need to be in a specific mood for, and it hasn't hit when I'm in that mood yet. Look, I think that this director clearly had a vision and was clearly trying to do something unique, and I do appreciate that. I appreciate a vision. Um, it is 100 minutes long. There is almost no dialogue, and most of it is like a grainy series of seemingly... I could not personally get super into this. I feel like if it had been like maybe 30 minutes, I might have had a better... But like 100 minutes felt very long. I also could see that maybe it would have been different if I had like seen it in a theater or if I had, you know, like if there had been a more immersive type of experience. It was really hard to stay focused for me. Um, but I am curious to see, I assume this person is going to get to make something else because he made a lot of money on Skidamarink, you know, the studio made a lot of money on Skidamarink. So I am curious to see what he will do next because I do think that it is clear that he has a vision that is unique. And so I am curious to see what else he does. But this one did not coalesce for me personally. <laughs> um, and then we watched Aliens because we're slowly watching through. And I hadn't, I, I have seen Alien three or four times. I think I might only have seen Aliens once. Um, and it's it's great. 
it's it's not as good as Alien, um, in my opinion. I put them on par personally, but uh, yeah. But it's it's great, and I had a really good time. And then yesterday we watched Secret of Kells, and then last night uh, they were doing a 10 p.m. sing-along showing. There were only two other people in the theater besides us. We did not sing along. But um, of Dix, the musical, uh, which I was like, okay, like, you know, maybe, like, I like Nathan Lane. I like, and you know, I, I don't know where I live. I did laugh a fair amount. I did laugh a fair amount. Even at 85 minutes, it felt a little long. Um, I think uh, Morgan said that the play that they originally wrote that they based this off of was 30 minutes and that makes right. a lot I of I mean sense. it's a sketch show right like that's what it was originally I think it was, it was like a UCB thing I think I honestly don't know but uh, I think that 30 minutes of the material in this would have been like perfection but I also am not I think a lot of it is going to hinge for me uh, like, I think I will watch it again at some point there were several times I was like if I had seen this when I was 22 I think I would have thought this movie was hilarious and amazing and i would have been quoting it constantly and there are multiple things in there where i was like yeah i could see myself like i feel like if i watch it again there are two possible options it will either be like no like this was sort of the shock value or whatever was the initial thing and now i'm kind of over it or it will get progressively funnier the more times i watch it so i feel like next year I'm ho- i, I want to watch it again and see like how it lands for me there are definitely some really fun nathan lane is the man is giving it his all. And honestly, some of the best parts of the movie were the outtakes at the end of Nathan Lane's like face while he's questioning his life about like spitting ham at these puppets. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Um, him and Megan Mullally are just like, just incredible. Just, just, just absolutely go. Like you see them break once or twice in the movie. Like that was the best take they got. was the movie. Um, there's a lot going for it. I did have a really good time. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I gave it like a three and a half with the potential for it to go up, depending on how it feels. It seemed time. very, um, uh, what's his name? John Waters. Like it seemed very much like something he would have made. Uh, Morgan actually mentioned that even though Morgan has never seen a John Waters film. I will say Morgan mentioned this and I think it's true. There's a lot, a lot less gender fuckery than Waters would usually do. Like it is more like cis, people and less like you know but uh like i don't know there's a flying vagina there's a like there's there's a lot going on and the songs are pretty good the songs are pretty good so like i and i actually i won't spoil it but i i appreciate the way they ended it on several levels so um so yeah i i you know it's 85 minutes maybe not worth going to the theater for i don't know but i assume it'll come streaming somewhere and like if you like raunchy, like, which I don't feel like I am normally a person that I would associate with, like, but like gay raunchy specifically, um, then it's worth 85 minutes of your time, I think. So that's what I got. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, yeah, we should maybe spend a little time on TV stuff. Um, I talked about an interview with a vampire last time. Um, I think we've had at least a few things that we both watched that we talked about a little bit off Mike's uh, Only Murders in the Building season three. Great. Yeah, liked it way better than season two. I, I think I talked someone here about season two being kind of a letdown for me, and I honestly almost didn't keep going with it because I I didn't it didn't seem likely that it would bounce back. But uh, I mean, adding Meryl Streep always helps a lot, obviously, and she's she was. 
I had a, a bit of like, you know, she was in the first episode and then I think she wasn't in like the second and third. And I was like, oh man, is it going to be like she shows up twice and it's like, but no, she ends up playing a pretty significant role in the plot. She's in like half the episodes or more and is amazing. She's great. Look, I know this is a dumb thing to say because it's Meryl fucking Street, but she's, she's so good. Like, she's just so good. And she just, oh, uh, like, and she's good in like a different way now than she was 20 years ago. Like, it's just, ah. I yeah. Know. And her, her and Martin Short get like i would not have put the two of them together as like a great as great scene partners but just yeah it's just really good stuff and i also i thought the mystery was a lot better in this season than it was in season two that was the big thing that that was the big thing that didn't hold together for me in season two i thought the mystery was just kind of dumb and not very interesting uh but i think they 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 got something a lot more interesting here and all the whole thing with them you know putting together the broadway show and steve martin pretending that he (laughs) Into a batter song, <laughs> like like Steve Martin gets some of the best stuff that he's had in the show, I think, and just it it, it, all, it doesn't all work. I I found Paul Rudd kind of annoying, although he's only in a few episodes, but it mostly works. It I was I was pretty happy with it. It was really fun. I I had a really I was really glad. I I don't think I was gonna not watch season three, but um. I think I might have put it off longer if Morgan hadn't been like, but we should watch it. And I'm really glad we did. Cause yeah, I think season two almost has disappeared from my brain already. Um, but season three, I really felt like, yeah, it, it bounced back. Well, uh, I also watched Ahsoka, the, you know, new star Wars show, which I was really di- like, I went into it honestly with pretty low expectations. Cause uh, you know, I was tying it much more to the, like the Mandalorian side of things than the Andor side of things. Um, I really enjoyed the first few episodes. I thought it was a lot of fun um, doing some stuff that I hadn't really seen before, really embracing the fantasy aspect of Star Wars uh, as opposed to the sci-fi aspect. Um, But I really did not think that they tied it together at all in the second half. There was the whole first half was like build up to like this Thrawn character and this new threat forming, you know, at the edges of the galaxy or whatever. And I really didn't think that they brought any of that together in a satisfying way. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm unclear on if there's going to be another season of Ahsoka or if this is supposed to be like set up for a movie. There's some talk about that, but I don't I don't know what the like I, the idea is, is that they're connecting the dots between basically how did the new order that we have as the villains in the, the sequel trilogy end up in place, which is a legitimate thing to be curious about because it seemed very odd that there was like a whole new empire 30 years later. Like where the fuck did these guys come from? So the, I think the goal is to, to connect those dots. Um, and I'm curious to see that, but I'm not convinced they're going to do it in a good way. Um, but we'll see there. There's, there's, there's definitely stuff to recommend this one, it's better than the last season of The Mandalorian was. It's certainly better than the fucking Boba Fett show was. Um, also, really briefly on a Star Wars note, I, uh, I have watched through season two of that um, that Star Wars Visions, I think it's called, the the animated anthology thing where it's each each episode. It's like a different animation studio does just like a little a little short self-contained story in the star Wars universe, which I would love to see the star Wars universe do more stuff like that. Uh, but there was an episode of that that was done by cartoon saloon, uh, which is really cool. And, and, you know, unsurprisingly looks really striking and, and yeah, there, there was, there was some really good episodes since the first season was all anime studios. So it was like a bunch of different sort of styles of anime. 
but this one broadens it quite a bit. Uh, there's some, there's some, there's a couple episodes that are kind of anime style, but there's a bunch of other stuff too, and including like some, uh, some really cool, like, uh, stop motion stuff. And but yeah, there's, there's a handful of really cool episodes in, in season two. I recommend anyone who, who enjoys star Wars universe stuff, checking it out. Um, I feel like I had at least one more TV thing, but I'm drawing a blank. So why don't you do some? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think you talked about watching, uh, interview with the vampire last time and the reason you were able to do that was because max took a bunch of uh amc plus shows um or first seasons of them at any rate um and that was interview with the vampire but another one that they took and i say this because i have amc so it doesn't matter but you don't have amc um and for others who might not and would be more likely to have max um is that one of the shows that they took was a show called dark winds um the first season is up on max we've only watched the first season so far there are two seasons the second season just finished like a month ago or something um there are like six episodes each uh it is a show that is executive produced by robert redford and george rr R. martin which is a hell of a pairing of people uh i did not know that i, I knew about the, this one is on mclaren right the, the it's like the cop yes. show with yeah who i really like he's great yeah no he's fantastic um it is a yeah it is a show about uh it is set on the navajo I believe, uh, nation in set in the sixties, at least the first season is, um, and Zaw McLaren is, uh, the sheriff, uh, which, you know, if I'm going to watch a show with co- or about cops, which I, I do end up doing periodically, but, um, I always prefer like native cops. They're so much more of an interesting, like intersection of things. Um, and basically there, you know, there was a bank robbery and then there was a murder and he's trying to like solve this. And there's like an F some FBI, stuff because of course there is because they're on the reservation and they don't have any rights to do anything um and it's so good it's it's so good it's it's just a really really fascinating six episodes i'm looking forward to watching the second season hopefully they'll get a third i guess we'll see okay well that's that's cool because i remember that starting and i was kind of curious about it but i hadn't actually i don't think i know anyone who knew anyone who had watched it so i hadn't really heard anything specific yeah no it's great and i think there's like two or three white actors in the whole show it's almost entirely native cast um and just just really great i i super i i I want many more people to watch it it's it's pretty short as far as a (laughs) commitment goes and i think that we should all be watching more things actually told by native americans about native americans well and that reminds me of course of one of the other things that i was going to mention which is reservation dogs i still Uh, haven't watched of course also has Zon mcclernan as a reservation (laughs) and he also played a reservation cop on uh longmire that it's uh he he just looks the part i guess but uh Obviously, he's on a very different tone in Reservation Dogs. He's very funny in that show. Um, did you say you still haven't watched the? No, um, I think uh, I, I want to watch the whole show with Morgan because uh, Morgan hasn't watched any of the first season. So I think right now we're rewatching Dairy Girls, um, and I haven't seen the third season yet. So I'm waiting to, and then I, I think we might do Reservation Dogs next. But yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, so the, we we just had the third and final season wrapped up a few weeks ago now, um, and it, I mean it's I I think it was one of the best shows on TV while it was going. Uh, it is almost certainly a thing that I will watch, go back to and rewatch. Um, it, it just possibly the best uh, combination of like funny and and heartbreaking and touching. Uh, the the whole cast, but particularly the young cast, are just they're all so good uh we finally get graham green in this season who is like has been kind of he's kind of probably like the most recognizable uh native actor 
that he's been around for a long time. You've almost certainly seen him in stuff, even if you don't know his name, but he had not been in this show until we finally get him in this season. So that was cool. Um, yeah, great stuff. Uh, it's on Hulu, I believe. It's, it was actually a Hulu. Uh, I think it was part of that, like, was it Hulu and, and FX? I think so. Did they, you know, they, they're like doing stuff together now. And I, th- I think it was one of those. Um, so hopefully it will it will be on there uh, long term. and Fingers crossed. You, know, you never uh, know with that kind of stuff these days. But I, I think it ended really well. Um, good. I, I think the whole last season was uh, really great. Um, my only real complaint was that I, I, I wanted more Willie Jack, who is possibly my favorite TV character these days. And I was really hoping there would be like a whole episode about Willie Jack, but there wasn't in this season, but that's okay. That's a minor, a minor complaint. She does have a pretty significant story arc in the season. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, like, you know, but also I'm like, this is such a good show that I I don't mind waiting a little bit before I close it out. But um, speaking of great shows, Morgan and I, Morgan had never seen the final season of Ojak Horseman. So we just, we finished that. Um, I think this is the third time I've watched the final season. And I, I really remain as a show, in total like in total sum bojack horseman remains one of the like most prescient and like applicable to our times and that has been true since they started making it it feels like they just really there are some things that you watch now you're like damn this was before that this was before like um so many of the jokes it's just oh but it's it also remains one of the most heartbreaking shows and and i just i like cannot state enough how much they land the ending which is you know a concern sometimes with these sorts of things but i just the end is just incredible um so it's really great to watch that again like i said we're watching dairy girls which is very funny i think we're almost done with season two so we'll be we'll be through that pretty quickly um and uh you know i've been watching stuff you don't care about but me and ezra have been watching uh, the golden bachelor uh which <laughs> is um and also Bachelor in Paradise, but there's not really much to say about Bachelor in Paradise. This <laughs> is a terrible show. Um, the Golden Bachelor is not not a terrible show, but it is it's much higher produced. They clearly were throwing a lot of money at it. That like they have like examples of this include that they have licensed songs that I know, like multiple songs that I know. Um, it's also only an hour, uh, so it's a 45 minute. And yeah, no, I'm about to tell you how long they usually are. <laughs> the face that Joel is making is so. Bachelor, Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise episodes are a two-hour block. So with with you're watching it without commercials on Hulu, it's an hour and twenty five minutes per episode. I think I had always just assumed that all of these shows are half hour blocks. I can't imagine anyone sitting through more than that. Great news! I'm right in front of you. You don't even have to imagine. Um, I will say so. This one is an hour block, so it's about forty five minutes without uh, without commercials. And I I have to say it really makes it apparent that in general like they are they need to start cutting from the two hour blocks because like there's so much there's so much like repeat and waste in the two hours but uh i don't know our our bachelor's name is gary he uh which is spelled g-e-r-r-y which i hate because that shouldn't be gary um (laughs) and he's whatever i like him a little better than i expected to but still not that much um what is most interesting is his is the women who are you know between i think the youngest one was 60 gary is 72 the youngest one was 61 and i think the oldest one was 75 um and having now watched a full season of the bachelor and a full season of the bachelorette and being halfway through paradise um i think that one of the things that incredibly stands out when watching the golden bachelor is that 
usually when you're watching the regular bachelor it's like they're all like 23 years old 20 is up to like 30 but like they're young and you know they one they have mostly grown up with the show the bachelor's been running for like 20 years now so they're very aware of everything that is not true with most of these women a lot of them have no idea like you know they first bring in the first date card and they're like what is that (laughs) Uh, but also they just can't help but be more interesting. Like they just can't help. Like they, they, they've had more lives, and they, they, you know, they've all been previously married. That's kind of like an ex- expectation at this point, right? And either their part- spouse has died, or they got divorced, or whatever it might be. And like, and so they're just they're just more interesting than the like twenty seven year olds who are looking to be influencers. And no hate particularly, but like it's just not you know. Anyway, um, it has been interesting. It's a shorter season and shorter episodes, and I'm not sorry about that. But it's. If you were curious, it might be worth watching a 45-minute episode to see. Obviously, I'm not talking to Joel here, but anyone else who might be any of our other seven listeners. Um, and then we also watched the new Love is Blind season, which is bad even for that show. Um, and the, <laughs> the other thing, I oh, I, I watched the third season of His Dark Materials, which... Joel's like I, I didn't, didn't. I didn't realize that show was still going. I, I watched like the first three episodes of the first season, I think, and then forgot about it. No, and that's fair. And I, I thought the first season was fine, and I thought the second season was fine. And I wasn't gonna watch the third season, but then I heard it was the last season. It's not still going. They, they cut it. Um, I was worried that meant they didn't complete it, but they did. They completed the whole set. Um, and I was like, eh, like there's only one more season left. It's like eight episodes. I might as well watch it sort of thing. Um, in the second season, Lin-Manuel Miranda played a fairly significant role and that was fairly brutal. Um, cause he's just, he, he's just not a good actor. I love him, but he's not a good actor. And, and the people in the show were frequently very good actors, which makes it worse. Um, but the third season, I don't know at some point, I don't know if I ever will bother to go back and rewatch the first two seasons. The third season really landed for me. I don't know if it, and I'm not telling anyone that it's worth it to watch 16 hours of television to get to the parts that landed for me, but like the third season really worked for me. I don't know. All of the, like all of the, you know, sort of critique of God and the church and all of that kind of stuff I enjoyed. I I'm kind of tempted to go back and read the books. I haven't read them since I still was a Christian and I'm curious to see if I would like them better now. I don't know. I'm like, this isn't a recommendation. Cause like I said, I thought the first two seasons were pretty mid at best, but the last like six episodes I really liked. So I don't know, whatever. I was glad I watched them, but I wouldn't be like anyone else has to. And also Eric and I have been watching season two of wheel of time. Um, because Eric loves Wheel of Time. Um, I'm enjoying it. I don't know if I, it's weird because I remember so little, like plot points happen and I'm like, did that happen in the books? And Eric is like, yes, that was a fairly major thing in the books. And I'm like, I'm sure that's true. But like, I don't, you know, I was reading the books as a teenager. It's been like 20 plus years. Um, but I remember most of the words, like the name, like the names of places and people and, and races and like different magic things or whatever. And I think I have no way to prove this, but I, I think that part of what has allowed me to enjoy it more is that I don't feel like lost in a sea of words. I don't know. Like, even when I don't always exactly remember what they mean until they explain it, I like, like, I know these words, these don't sound like gobbledygook that someone has made up i mean they are but like you know like it's something that sounds familiar to me and i think that helps a little because i think that is often a hurdle for me with those types of shows um i think it is good i think i think they're filming season three right now i 
would be surprised because I, I don't hear anyone talking about it. So I, I kind of feel like I would be surprised if he kept going. And also Eric loves them. So like, it's very fun to watch with him because he gets very, he's very invested and he can fill in all the stuff that I don't know. So interesting. I, I never did check out the show. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I ever mentioned to you probably I've, I've been doing audiobooks at work a lot lately and as opposed to podcasts and at some point probably about five or six months ago I think I I down I borrowed from the library the, the audiobook of the first one uh I think I got about three hours into it and gave up That's uh, <laughs> I thought it was just awful <laughs> so I I can't really imagine trying the show but no and that's fair and again i'm not even quite sure don't be mad at me eric i'm not even quite sure that i consider this a recommendation because i don't know like i feel like if i was watching it if i had no background in the books and i was watching it by myself and not with someone who really loved it i don't know that i actually would enjoy it that much i have very much enjoyed my experience of watching it with eric but I think that that's because of those additional factors. So I don't know if like you don't have those things, if it would still hold up in the same way. I don't know. Also, I'm not like a high fantasy person generally. So like, it's not, it's not super my thing. Um, but I think, I think that's the majority of, of what I've been watching. Um, yeah. I, uh, John Oliver's back. That's been nice. Bob's Burgers is back. They had, they've had a couple great episodes already. So I'm hoping we'll get a Halloween episode tonight. I haven't, I haven't heard one way or the other, but I'm looking forward to it. They usually do one. Yeah, that would be that would be great. I bet I can find out like right this moment. Um, yes, it is. It is playing tonight. It's called Running Down a Jean. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I haven't been uh, watching quite as much TV as I sometimes do, but um, you know, there's been some good stuff. And of course, right now with the strikes and everything, it's been a little bit weird in terms of TV stuff. But I think there's been some there's some good stuff out there, and y'all should definitely check out Dark Winds because. It's really good. Anyway, anything else you want to mention before we... Oh, I'm reading the MCU book also. The one that Joanna Robinson co-wrote. And I'm sorry, I don't remember. I'm sorry, Joanna, who is definitely listening to this. I don't remember the name of your co-authors. I did buy this exclusively because of you. Um, I did it in a pre-order because I love Joanna Robinson with all my heart and soul. Um, and even though I don't care that much about the MCU, but it's been interesting. There are things in it that I definitely didn't know. There are some interesting like historical tidbits and stuff. I read like a chapter a day and, uh, and periodically I'm like, huh, I didn't know that. Interesting. <laughs> Did you know that Kevin Feige was the assistant, to, started out as the assistant to, to, the, to them when they were making the X-Men movies and was writing detailed pages of notes on the X-Men movies all the time. And eventually they just brought him into the room to start working. Like he was like 20 something and in college. He apparently applied for film school. He went to NYU or it might not have been NYU, but one of the one of the big ones that had a film school. He applied five times, and they denied him five times. And he said, "My family started being like, did you know that there are other things that you could do at this school?'" But on his sixth time, he did get in. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like some of it's just sort of like generally interesting. Um, but if you are interested in the MCU, go pick it up. It's it's quite detailed. So yeah. Anyway, that's what I got. Cool. All right, everyone. Maybe we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Who can say? Honestly. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I, I hope we can manage at least one more on our regular schedule here before we get fully into the holidays at the end of November, but we'll see how it goes. I think so. I think we can manage one. Okay. Well, bye, everyone. Bye. bye.